Hey listeners, before we begin, as you can see by the title of the episode, we have Mia Taylor with us again today. This is part two of our first conversation with her, so if you haven't listened to that one, you might want to pause, go back and listen, and come back to this. Also, what's extra special about these two episodes with Mia is that the actual pitches that we're talking about are actually featured in the show notes, word for word. So take a look at that as they each guide our conversations. Okay, with that being said, let's get started. All right, thank you for tuning in to We Are in Media. We are back with one of our most favorite guests, I have to say. (laughs) Somebody who truly takes the time to send us Oh, so much info in advance. Welcome, Mia, to back to We Are Media. Thanks. It's, I'm happy to be here again. It's always fun. Yeah. So today we're going to be dissecting a pitch that led to more of an interview slash Q&A style article. Mm-hmm. I will let you give a brief overview of what it's all about. Okay, great. Um, so this particular story was about women helping women um, in the workplace, uh, financially, just being more supportive of each other in life in general, um, instead of uh, sort of being catty and jealous and backstabbing and all the things that historically take place among women in the the work arena. Um, The thing that really caught my eye about this particular pitch was actually the subject line, which is different than the last time I was on your show and we were talking about um, sustainable banking and the subject line wasn't exactly that compelling. In this case, the subject line was the secret to shattering the glass ceiling colon, ditch the cat fights and unite. And so ditch the cat fights and unite um, was brilliant to me. You know, I mean, it told me that a, this person and the secret to shattering the glass ceiling too was really good because it told me that this person knows what I write about, that I write about finance and women's issue issues in particular. I mean, the, the personal finance desk at Meredith corporation where I work, we, one of our mandates is to really shine a light on um, money as it impacts women's lives. And so whether that's, you know, women vacationing, women investing, women in jobs, women in budgeting, women in buying houses, you know, we sort of want to really dig into all things women and money. And this pitch fit perfectly within that spectrum. So the the person who sent it, we have to give credit to Kat, Kat mm-hmm. Surish. I'm not sure yeah, if I'm saying I her think last that, name. I don't know if it's Sarush or Surush, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to be publishing this pitch on in the show notes as well. So listeners, you can go onto um, the link there, follow through, and read the pitch itself. But let's let's dive into the actual pitch. Um, so. Jackie, I we're in this shared Google Doc, and I can see that Jacqueline is highlighting the start of the pitch. And I think I feel like you want to say something about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the person who pitched this, their name is Cat, and Cat mm-hmm. starts their email with Cat here reaching out with an exclusive yada yada yada. But I think yeah. that's very. Um, I personally would never do that because that. That seems like a little informal. Did you know Kat already or? No. And I was um, a little take shocked by that um, <laughs> intro myself just because I thought, wait, do I know her? Like, <laughs> have we worked together before? Yeah. Because it was refreshingly informal. Um, but then, you know, it didn't bother me at all. I thought, well, that's fine. You know, in this case, mm-hmm. it works. Like the whole pitch worked for me. So it works. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you have to be careful with that. You're right, because there are people 
who will pitch me and they are uh, very informal and I don't know them at all. And I do sort of take offense to that because I don't know you, you know? So but in this case, it just, it, it was well done enough and professional enough that it all worked well. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because like, even though she's a little informal in the front and you see like this really in-depth pitch, like you can mm-hmm. tell that she spent time on this email. Yes. So I think you're right. It is refreshing. I like that. Yeah. She's yeah. like a uh, party in the front business in the back. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I like that party in the front business in the back. That's yeah. good. The opposite of <laughs> But yeah, it's just like yeah. that kind of thing. That's cool. Yeah. All right. That's all. Yeah. That was the first thing that caught my eye, but yeah, yeah. it definitely caught my eye. Cool. Yeah, I, yeah, it was a good observation because you're right. That can go good or bad. So you really have to be careful with that, I think. There's an art to it. Yeah, yeah. You got to really tread carefully with that one. <laughs> cool. Um, what, what sticks out to you about the first paragraph, Britt? Um, you probably already know, but I the do. word <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> um, sh- so we, like, you know, throw this around loosely as PRs often, um, and it kind of can trigger uh, journalists as well because it's kind of vague, right? But in this instance, Kat wonderfully lays out that this is truly exclusive for you, Mia, and um, I'm also just really surprised as well that she didn't throw the word exclusive in the subject line because I feel like that might be like a way to really capture your attention to open the email, but what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts around the exclusivity aspect of the pitch? You know, I don't know that that... I used to work at another publication prior to this, and exclusive was a big deal. Like, if we could get an exclusive, um, that was huge to us because it meant more clicks for our story before our competitors' stories, right? Um, So I guess that's important sometimes, but to me, what matters more is just whether it's a good pitch, exclusive or not, you know, Um, because I know I can take a really good pitch and run with it in a unique way that differentiates it from my competitors. So, you know, exclusive is, is not something that necessarily would be more compelling to me in my case, because we're not a breaking news or I'm not on a breaking news desk anyway. So, you know, I don't know if exclusive exclusive would allow me to make any more out of a story than were it not exclusive. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know too. Right. And I can see how it's also, you know, compelling to be able to take someone's story and their backstory and their experience and tie it into either something you're currently working on or create something new and um, not refreshing, but brand new to what someone might not have known about before when it comes to that business or that person in general. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. what I also really like too is that Katz also offered up different interview topics. So right. if you wanted to interview her, um, maybe whatever she pitched wasn't, you know, very, super compelling to you personally. If you wanted to hop on a call or video chat, whatever it is that you prefer with the um, business person or you know whoever she's pitching, you you had these options that you can consider too. There were three different ones. Yeah, I actually really like that. I've seen that uh, more and more from p- pitches that I'm receiving via email. And I think it's a great thing to do um, to give me three options because they're sort of thought, thought starters for me in terms of 
story angles I might pursue with this source. And oftentimes I'll take one of these suggested angles and I'll tweak it even more and then pass it up to my editor and, you know, see if they're interested in it and then return to this person who's pitched it to me and say, okay, I liked this part of your sentence, but here's how we're going to tweak it even more. And can your source speak to the way that we've tweaked this, you know, so it, but it, these bullet points of possibilities give me a real idea of what this source is capable of and how I might run with this source in various ways. Right. Great advice. Super constructive. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great. I think that that I've seen it in so many emails lately that they're doing this. Here's the three or four things my source can talk about. And I really enjoy that helpfulness. The pitch itself, I, I must say, uh, she does include a Q&A mm-hmm. beneath the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is quite lengthy. Yeah. Do, how do you feel about lengthy pitches? This one no. obviously worked out well. but um... <laughs> You know, I hate lengthy pitches. And I've said this to other people. Um, in this case, the Q&A was at the bottom, so I didn't have to read it to get to the points that mattered to me. So luckily, the Q&A was placed out of a, out of the way, in a sense, for me, because I didn't have to weed through the Q&A to get to what really was important in the pitch. So I've said to other people I've spoken to, um, don't, at least for me, I don't have time for a long pitch. I have so much on my plate every day. So what I like to see in a pitch is a compelling subject line that's relevant to my beat. Um, and then in the intro, I like to see sort of what would the deck of your story be, you know, summarize your story in four sentences, three sentences, and then give me some bullet points about how you can back that up or a study or, you know, something that I can hang the story on beyond your source. That's enough for me. You know what I mean? I don't need several paragraphs to weed through to figure out whether this is a story I can use. And I, I think what's really fascinating about the Q&A section is that it's more than just a Q&A. She wrote, she wrote something that you could just easily publish. Right. Which we would never do. Yeah. (laughs) But in this case, um, I was able to pull from some of that Q&A for the final story that I wrote as uh, supporting and contextualizing information in the final story. So I'm not saying that these uh, lengthy Q&As that are attached at the end of a pitch aren't helpful. I'm just saying position them at the end of the pitch so that I can get to what's what matters. Mm-hmm. And then this is great background. The Q&A is excellent background. Um, uh, and so you don't have to not include Q&As, but just make sure that you're very succinct and, you know, like you said, get the, the important stuff up front, the party up front and all that other stuff. Like that. <laughs> the party up front. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I love that actually is putting all the important stuff at the bottom and kind yeah. of just summarizing what the heck you're trying to um, yeah, just be succinct with your summary up front. And then if I want to, I can weed through the Q&A later when I have more time, and that's fine. So right. what about follow-ups? I mean, do you appreciate one or two follow-ups? You know, there? I totally do. I really do. Because um, you know, and there were t- times in my career when I hated the follow-ups. Yeah. <laughs> they just became too much. And there are some that still become too much. But I can think of at least six to 10 times in recent months where someone has followed up with me and it paid off because I had forgotten about their pitch initially, or I had flagged it on my email, you know, with the little flag symbol and I meant to get back to it. But then in the day-to-day busyness of our jobs, I never did get back to it. 
or you know the person followed up just as I was looking for a source of that type, um, and I threw that person into that person's uh, expert into my story that day or that week. So I don't discourage following up at all. Um, I would just say, you know, two or three times is enough, and make sure it's spaced out enough. Like, don't email me on Monday and then follow up with me on Tuesday. Um, you know, so just be respectful of people's time and sort of wait three or four days, maybe a week. I don't know. Um, but you know, following up is great. I think it's, uh, you know, as long as you do it politely, of course, it's a great thing to do because we're all so busy and you can just say, Hey, putting this back at the top of your inbox, you know, maybe it'll work for you. So nice. So you don't even need the follow-up to be too fancy. No. And that's the other thing. Yeah. You don't need to reiterate everything. Just say I'm bumping this back up and then I'll look at whatever it is. Um, But I do, I have grown to be appreciative of the follow-ups because I am so overwhelmed some days. I bet. What are your working hours like? Are you? We have specific hours um, on the finance desk. So we work 830 to 430, but that doesn't mean I finish my day at 430. So (laughs) um, I often find it's quieter later in the day. And so I'll do a lot of my writing later in the day. And during the morning, I'm doing uh, research or phone calls or interviews or that sort of stuff. I have a a question about the Q&As and Mm -hmm. I guess your interview um, style preferences. Sure. How do you – my first question is, um, do you send questions in advance? I have evolved (laughs) (laughs) on that front. Um, I started out as a print journalist uh, back in the day and uh, working at daily newspapers like the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I would be horrified back then if somebody said, can you send me advanced questions? Because it seemed so, you know, the opposite of everything I was taught in journalism school. Why would I prepare you? I want to know what your true answers are, right? I want to. I want you to answer sincerely, not some canned response that you've researched to be politically correct. Yeah. So then I would. I would always say no, and so did most of the reporters in the news newsroom back in the day. We wouldn't send you advanced questions. However, this is 2021. We're all busy. We do things differently. We're working remotely. I'm not going out doing door to door interviews. So I will now send four to five. You know, and I do want people to be prepared. So I'll send four to five sample questions. That doesn't mean I'm going to stick to only those four or five questions or that that will be the extent of the interview. I will go beyond those four or five questions um, and add to them and ask off the cuff questions as I think of them as you're speaking or as the expert is speaking. But I'm happy to sort of give you a sense of the general um, way the conversation is going to go and what I hope to cover. That's helpful. That's thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We, we really do appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And I know sources do too. And especially now that I'm on the finance desk, I mean, back in the day I was a breaking news reporter and did different kinds of stories, but on the finance desk, it really does help the source to have data at their fingertips when the interview begins right. so that they can respond with data points rather than them scrambling and saying, oh, wait, let me see if I have data on that. It just makes everything easier for everyone if they know what I'm going to be asking about. Right. And especially if it's an on-camera interview, you want oh yeah, you want things to be quick and to the point. You want, yeah. it's especially just- for on-camera, it's a total different you know, ball game. I do think for on camera, you need questions in advance so that you're not struggling on camera to answer questions. Yeah. It removes that layer of anxiety that 
we all have when yeah. it comes to being interviewed on camera. Absolutely. Um, okay, cool. That's good to know. And then do you typically, are they typically like just phone calls, video calls? Um, you know, I've been doing Zoom more and more, not with the video on, but just, you know, as a way to communicate uh, audio because it's just easier than holding a phone in my ear or whatever, you know, and I just think everybody has migrated to zoom and it just makes everything that much more simple. So, um, but I'll do phone calls occasionally. And then a lot of the time I do do email interviews, you know, when people are uh, time crunched and they can't, uh, in their day, they don't have time to stop and do a phone interview. I'll say, here's my five questions to start with, email me back answers, and then we'll proceed from there. So the, the five questions are really a starting point, and then I'll email back responses, or here's what I want to hear more about. Can you please expand on this point? Um, and I'm fine with that, you know, really, because it allows me um, to get their words the way that you know, correct in the way they want them to be presented. But if it's a really important story to me or a compelling topic, or I really just want to, you know, get more uh, color or detail, I will, of course, want to do a phone interview or a Zoom interview. Okay, great. Let's yeah. see. Is there any other questions that Jackie, you had about this particular pitch? And or Mia, is there anything else that you wanted to specifically point out before we move on to like more housekeeping questions that we didn't get to previously? Um, I think just like the last time I was on your show and we talked about knowing the reporters beat really well, um, this pitch showed me that this person really knew me. Um, and it also showed me that she was in touch with sort of issues women are facing today. So clearly she's somebody who's reading the news or is aware of the latest data, or at least her expert has made her aware of those things. But I would always, always, always encourage you to be sure to be reading the news every day and doing deep dives into what I cover. Great advice. Best advice ever. Yeah. I do have something to point out about this pitch. I think it's really cute that she included a PS, if you need a break, here's an awesome. I love that. I love that. <laughs> the details. Did you use it? Did Are you, you know, go and meditate? As I was re-looking at this pitch today, um, I thought, oh my God, I never did this meditation. But I did like that little bit of like um, TLC personal. at the end, you know, yeah. like that personal, like, here's a little something, something for you to help you get through your day that tied back to her client and also familiarizing me with her client because the, the, pit, the meditation is led by her client, but it's something that I would benefit from, which is a little tiny meditation. So that was done well. You know, she really, that was, I like, enjoyed the way she did that. Cat has style, I can tell, like that pitch. She does. I mean, some people, it's like, you know, when you're growing up and there's always an it girl and there's that yeah. girl who effortlessly just is like, on trend and, you know, always good at something. And I feel like um, with PR pitches, there are some people who just have it, you know? Yes. And so I think she displayed that. Awesome. That's really cool. I'm getting goosebumps. I can't <laughs> wait to promote this one by calling Kat the it girl. Yeah. <laughs> the it girl of PR pitches. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Love it. All right, let's do housekeeping. Yeah, I think actually it's a really good transition to kind of like, we'll get to other housekeeping questions, but skip real fast to like any PR shout outs that you want to give. You just gave a wonderful one to Kat. Mm -hmm. We, I feel like we, in our last um, 
conversation with Gina. We didn't necessarily give her the proper shout out that she deserved, but anybody oh, yeah. else, or do you want to say a little bit more about Gina as well? Yeah, I think Gina too. I, I would like to give her a shout out because um, her pitch was really, com- even though you know we sort of at the start of this conversation talked about the subject line, that really didn't give her due because her pitch, the body of her pitch was really well thought out and really tapped into an issue the world is facing right now. And um, I said this on the last program with you guys, but I think that's really important to understand some of the biggest issues of our day and find out how your experts can plug into that. So that's what she did with her pitch. It was brilliant. I mean, she wrapped her expert in an issue that is plaguing the planet. um, And she wrapped it in data that is also relevant to that issue and to her clients. So her pitch was a multi-layered pitch that when combined was very compelling. So subject line aside, um, her pitch was also one that I felt, um, and and it also showed that she understood what I covered, you know? So there was a lot of layers to her pitch that worked well. Yes, A++ to Gina. Yeah. Yeah. Gina. In general, do you have any PRs that you have solid relationships with that you'd say you collaborate with often and you love their style? Like what do you like about their style and how do you recommend um, we build relationships with journalists. You know, I have a, a handful of really good relationships um, with finance PR folks, and I don't remember all of their names, but I work regularly with um, the PR representative for Forbes Advisor and for Credit Karma um, and for Fidelity and Bank of America and um, a bunch of those. They, you know, I think what they do well is that they have data that's meaningful to me and my beat. So again, I guess it all goes back to that point, which is have really fresh, relevant data and know my beat. And that helps you build a relationship with a reporter because it it shows that you know what that reporter is covering and needs and what might matter to him or her. Um, So, and I, each of those sources that I've mentioned, the Credit Karma, the Fidelity, Bank of America, I've worked with them and Forbes Advisor on at least six stories, you know, so, um, and now it's very easy. We just go back and forth with, you know, information and getting sources lined up. And um, so, and I, but I think all good reporters will do that, which is they will develop a stable of, of sources who they can rely upon and call upon at a moment's notice. I mean, you have to know the lay of the landscape in the beat that you cover and have those sources in that beat. So, um, yeah, there is definitely a group out there of, of PR folks for sources that are very relevant to me. Um, side note, do you ever work with Lending Tree? I do. Mm-hmm. That's my old team. I used to uh, oh, yeah. media relations team. I don't think we ever worked together because I kind of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Student Loan Hero, but. Yes, I yeah. am. Okay, cool. I started the media relations team there. And then when we were acquired by Lending Tree, um, I worked there for a few months and then I, I left. But that's yeah, a great they're, team. I love those people. Yeah, they're good. I do work with them frequently. So um, I should have mentioned them in that cluster because okay. I have relied on them for several things. Um, I, I think it really become, it comes down to the quality of the experts you're representing. Um, so the better quality your expert is, you know, the more I'm going to come back to you over and over and over again. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I think personal finance PR is very interesting, especially online, because there's mm-hmm. so much competition. I feel like the stakes are incredibly high. And so yeah, it's probably good for you in the sense that there are these really high quality like economists that these companies tend to hire and, you know, they've got the mm-hmm. resources to actually put out some pretty cool data and all that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. If you have rock star personal finance people in your stable, I mean, that's got to be easy to sell because we're all looking for those rock star personal finance people to quote. Yeah, definitely. And that could be a good, um, any listeners not working in that industry that can, if you look at the PR industry within personal finance, that could be a really good model for you to try it out in your own industry. And you might be swimming in a, they call it swimming in blue waters when you're kind of swimming on your own, you know? Yeah. You don't have competitors doing the same thing you're doing. So that's my little bit of advice there. For sure. I was uh, going through our list of questions and I think the only thing we haven't really covered Mm -hmm. um, is maybe what sort of help what assets do you find most helpful if oh, you can yeah. that's right you you i saw that in your list and i and you're right we haven't addressed that one um so in our case at meredith and for the brands that i specifically work for which is you know real simple and um health and parents and better homes and gardens we generally don't take outside photos um because we have creative teams who create imagery that really matches the brand and the look of the brand. Um, However, sometimes I will embed photos in stories. So occasionally photos are helpful. Um, In terms of other assets, there's, you know, we don't really embed studies. We don't embed graphics. (laughs) So I am probably an outlier on this question in terms of needing very many assets because I really don't. You know, I need a link to a very relevant and recent study um, or something like that. But in terms of things that will ultimately appear in the published piece, there isn't a lot I'm going to take from the source. So hopefully that was helpful in a non-helpful way. (laughs) No, I think it, you know, what I, the theme that I've kind of taken away from both of our conversations is that actually like PRs can utilize external data. Mm-hmm. They don't need to invest in imagery for fancy visualizations or even photos. Yeah. They need a good story and they need to understand who they're pitching. And that can be pretty inexpensive. Yeah, know? I would agree. I mean, don't waste your time, at least for me on the finance desk, don't waste your time trying to track down expensive photos or um, graphics. I, the only exception to that, of course, of course, of course, is travel. And I do write travel stories. You know, we'll write budget travel stories because the, there's the link between money and, and travel. Um, and in those cases, it can be incredibly frustrating if, for instance, you've pitched a, a property, a hotel, a resort, whatever it is, and the photos are horrible. So in that one case, I would strongly advise investing in great photography for properties to make it look lush and inviting and all that stuff. Um, But other than that, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head precisely, which is, you know, you don't need to waste your time on all that other stuff. You know, I just want a good story. I want it backed up by real relevant data. And then I want an outstanding source. And then I'll take that and run with it and and massage it and manipulate it to something that works for us and a story that I think will work in our brand. Right. Yep. 
and that's you know a huge reason for why our listeners tune in they want to know how to do this you know they want to know how to news jack as well and it's sometimes can be really difficult to when you're trying to you know come up with story ideas that are around current timely events and have to be published ASAP because of the crazy world of news that we live in today. Mm -hmm. It's good to know that you don't have to think about some of those additional assets. Yeah, you don't. don't, I mean, that's for me. I mean, I'm sure other journalists have a very different set of requirements, but Mm -hmm, you know, for a personal finance writer, I mean, think about who you're pitching and the fact that if I'm writing about personal finance, I'm probably not going to need a lot you know, other than the good data. Mm -hmm. That's actually a really good snippet to end on. (laughs) Great. Well, I hope it was helpful. I'm happy to help because then it allows me to do my job even better. So (laughs) it's a symbiotic relationship. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram.